0: This is the e commerce brain trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high level conversations about e commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our brain trust and boost your brand's e commerce potential.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the e commerce brain trust podcast. My name is Kiri Masters, head of retail strategy at Acadia. And today I'm joined by Chris Perry, co-founder at First Mover. Welcome back to the show, Chris.
0: Thank you so much for having me back, Kiri.
1: Yeah. So I I wanted to get you on the show um, because you have an exciting new framework that you're coming out with. And First Mover is, uh, I'll let you introduce First Mover a little bit, but we want to talk about the Smarter Growth Framework, which is being launched on December 5th. And we're going to get into that topic and and what that's all about. But maybe before we jump in, Chris, perhaps just share a little bit about First Mover for anyone that's not familiar with your company.
0: You bet. No, we've been very excited to have been around now for three and a half years, which in e-commerce years is like a century. So we're very excited uh, to continue to grow year over year, um, getting to work with amazing brands. But we really like to consider ourselves kind of a center of excellence for Omni education and change management. So um, we do a lot of industry events like the one you kind of uh, teased um, every month that are free for brands to attend. Again, really just to bring great voices together for great discussions on relevant topics to democratize uh, that knowledge for the industry. Um, But then we do a lot of custom trainings and certifications for tons of organizations globally and locally, beginner, executive, advanced. Um, And then we do a lot of consulting on everything from the strategy itself to capability building, tech stack building, dashboard building. Um, and we also have a temp services team that can also help organizations who can't get full headcount approval but still need the work done. And so we we really try to be an extension or we could say a satellite center of excellence orbiting you, knowing that even when you have a center of excellence, you could always use some extra, uh, extra boots on the ground to help get work done um, and help gut check what you're doing against what... Best practices look like in the industry, so we're always here to help um, brands, retailers, and agencies alike win. In yeah, store.
1: absolutely. And I, I know that during its time, First Mover has really attracted a, a, a really great uh, cadre of trainers and topics. And you've come out with your own frameworks, which have been very, very popular as you know, large CPGs and you know, mid-sized challenger brands are looking to you know embed e-commerce omnichannel function in their organizations and there is a you know big thirst for you know best practices and frameworks and how to i think one of the big benefits and something that we worked on a couple of years ago was really about how to you know help evangelize and advocate from within when you're the little lonely person on e-commerce island trying to (laughs) invoke change and and moving forward and and sometimes there can be some reluctance there I I recall that being a really you know formative topic and something that is you've you've continued that thread throughout to, to like bring that rigor and you know you know, arm the arm the troops, so to speak, as they're out there um fighting the
0: e-commerce good fight. Well, and the good thing is there's more first movers, right? There's all and, and that's why we call ourselves first mover. We're not just it's not about e-commerce alone. It'll be whatever's next, right? Whatever the next commerce is. But there's always a leader or leaders of change. They are often on that island alone for a while. It can be exciting and then lonely, right? Kind of like Tom Hanks and Castaway, and you you know, make friends with your <laughs> volleyball, Wilson. You know, but, but at some point, um, more first movers emerge. especially, I mean, maybe the one silver lining to COVID was it accelerated everyone's expectations, shoppers, retailers, and brands alike in this space. Um, so there's a lot more first movers out there, but now they're under the under pressure to deliver this incrementality, even though not all of the foundations were set by the organization's pre this new expectation. So so at any given time, there was this this loneliness and now this like urgency to like deliver. And we're always being asked like, what's what's next level, right? We've got the fundamentals in play, but how, if everyone has the fundamentals, how do we win, right? How do we drive incremental growth or incremental profit or incremental productivity? And so that's where this smarter growth framework really plays a nice role among many that we try to put out and again, democratize to help people organize how they're going to market because this is this is that next question like great last 3 years you know since covid we got our foundation in place everybody yeah. cares about it now we're not seeing the same growth that we were expecting or that we saw in the past because the base is bigger now what and and this is the opportunity where we can bring some really great principles that have been around for a while but reinvent them for an omni channel yeah process.
1: well let's dig right in so to, so give a little overview of the smarter growth framework
0: so, and, and, and I'm going to describe it visually, but we have this. We, we can share this. Obviously, it's, it's a free framework, um, and, and we do a lot of again, trainings on this, workshops, consulting. Um, we partnered uh, with Circana and Profitero on some Omni Growth uh, we, a webinar series to kind of help leverage the data they have to even fuel this framework further, which has been exciting. But um, the Smarter Growth Framework, and I, and I want to be very, you know, transparent is built upon the principles of growth and category management that we all should have grown up on, whether we started in brick and mortar or started in Omni or started in e-commerce only. And I think back to when it was IRI and before Circana and Nielsen, because when I was at Reckitt as a brand manager, we had both at different points in in our journey there. We had these little laminated one-pagers that told you how you grow. And when you look at the data to see how you're doing at Walmart or overall, you know, in the not, you know, 90% of the marketplace we, we would look at, it was all based on number of households, number of trips, and you know, the size of the trip, right? The basket size, the, the average order value. Nothing new to anyone, right? And in, in brick and mortar, which was in many cases, I don't want to say stagnating, but was slowing growth, you had to be very creative. And Catman, principles came into play how do we drive incrementality how do we partner better how can we be more productive with the same because it wasn't a it wasn't all high high growth it was about going from 3% growth to 5% growth and so in that time you were forced to think more creatively now we we leveraged those principles and we i, I remember our brands doing some really amazing things in an in-store environment then you get into the age of e-commerce and i almost feel like we went into the dark ages a little bit because it suddenly was like, "Hey, get distribution on Amazon." Check, I got growth, right? Oh, we need content on our pages. Check, it gets you some growth. Hey, there's paid search and retail media capabilities. Check, we get we get growth. You know, hey, that you know now the retailer is getting behind this, so there's some more like joint value creation opportunities. Check, and all all are good, right? They're, they're all things you need. They are the levers you would have pulled in store and or some slightly different ones online, but that's not how you grow, those are just things that fuel the how you grow, right? I mean, they are hows, but they're not the why you grow. Like, are you you driving households? Are you driving baskets? Are you driving trips? And which ones are relevant to you and your category or your role in the category? And so I think we're kind of entering an age of re-enlightenment because this isn't like, we weren't smart. We had these, but that's why we actually called it smart, aid smarter. Um, a, to play off this next level thinking, but also to play off that acronym of specific, measurable, achievable, relevant time bound as means to make us think of like, hey, I had this growth goal, but it could be a smart growth goal. What specific type of incremental growth do I want? And how would I design all those content, media, assortment, you know, partnership levers around ha- new households only to go get it? And then actually measure that because now we're actually getting a lot more of the the metrics that can actually show us that we were successful. So there's a lot to unpack here, but I want you to think of the, there's the household penetration side, and then there's the buy rate side. And we made this wheel where we actually split out the 12 types of growth. It's not just three buckets. It's actually four quadrants because within household penetration, you have category and brand because you may you may want to help grow the category, not just yourself within the category. And then on, buy, on the buy rate side, you got trips and baskets, but there's kind of three sub buckets within each of those. And you can start, when you start seeing these, you start walking the shelf, you can see some pretty amazing examples online and in-store of brands trying to activate against very specific objectives. And thus, then they can see actual incremental growth or not to see what it would take to fix, to optimize, to get that incremental growth. So there's there's some really cool things here, but Honestly, I'm I'm still, I'm impressed by the brands that do this well. I'm also, I don't want to say unimpressed. I'm shocked sometimes to see some of the leading brands not applying these principles. And then that arguably tells you, think how much upside is there. If the leading brands aren't doing this, imagine what they'd get if they did do this. Um, And so maybe this is more of just refreshing the industry with these Catman principles, this smarter growth approach. Um, And the events you talked about, we've had a series on different types of growth and examples and best practices, but also the ones we've got coming up next week are our workflows, one on how to be smarter about the processes that enable this. And the one in December you teased is our profitability, one smarter money, right? How to how to make sure we're doing this in a profitable way, not gotcha. just top line growth.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, purely just speaking for myself, I did not sort of grow up in category management or even retail. I came in like just on the e side, side. I'm not sure how common that experience is, but, you know, over time picking up some of these category management principles, that's not actually where my background is in. So I think, um, you know, probably as we're talking about larger cpgs it might be more common to have a retail background before moving into e-commerce but i think that there you know there are people out there with a background of now just e-commerce that may not have that category management experience which is a really great you know this will be a really great introduction to those principles where you know within a within a um within a brand, people will understand what you're talking about if you can play it back to the terminology and the concepts that they are familiar with.
0: Oh, 100% to that point. We're all coming in from different places. And so if you didn't grow up on this, this is a great chance to take principles that are like, let's say it's the common language. And that actually may get you more engagement internally because that's part of the first mover's role is to sell in this new agenda, this new route to market or routes to market. Um, if you do know this already, we, we should definitely be applying this because there's no excuse, right? We should have been doing this probably for a while, but it we're now at a point where everyone's kind of getting up to basic table stakes. And it's a matter of the, how I do this in a way, how do I do content optimization to get me growth now that everyone has content right. that's optimized, right? Optimized for what, like for why? Um, and so it's, it's thinking about those levers more intentionally in one direction.
1: That makes sense. Well, maybe um, you you mentioned already that you see some great examples from brands, but it's not super widespread yet. Maybe could you share a couple of examples of these different levers that you're seeing um, as a best practice?
0: For sure. Now, now, when I say them out loud, sometimes I... I think some people are like, Oh my gosh, my mind's going to be blown. And then when I say them, they're not that mind blowing, but it's, it's the fact that they're not being done. Like, so, so just like, just like when, when I do trainings on content or, or, you know, go to market strategy or, you know, or any, anything, which might sound foundational, I do get, I always, I always get a little bit of like a rolled eye, right? Like, you know, it's like, and I'm like, okay, you know, if content rolls your eyes, right. Are you doing it perfectly? Oh, no? Oh, then why are we rolling our eyes? Now, I say that not to be snarky because I didn't do it perfectly either. But in hindsight, I see where we could have been Mm -hmm. more perfect or or more optimized. So I'm going to mention things that are probably not surprising to anyone. You might be doing them, but the question is, are you doing them at Mm -hmm. scale? Are you doing them more intentionally for that purpose? Or did it just happen to be it's one of, like, again, I can spray and pray in every direction and grow lots of ways. But if I really said, hey, one option is basket building what would I do differently or how would I focus more of my funding and my efforts behind that? So like in that, in that regard, like, so if, if when we, when we talk about basket building, there are kind of three mega buckets within basket building, there's stocking up, right? So there's getting people to stock up more on the item they were already going to buy. That's probably the most common, right? Of Buy five, you know, and get a discount, right? Whether it's a promotion or um, a larger size on an Amazon marketplace or any of the marketplaces where you need higher price pack architecture, that has to be designed for if you don't already have the packs that meet that but stock ups is a little more straightforward trade up is where you make someone switch to something more premium than they were going to buy before so from a base product that served that solution up to the more premium one that's not again not new to anybody except it's not leveraged by a lot of people really effectively so examples and i mean i was walking the shelf just to look at what was the latest ones like you know if i type in huggies diapers right from kimberly clark Huggies does a really nice job of leveraging paid search to defend itself on its key retailers because again, other brands could be a Pampers or somebody else could bid to try to show up in its place if they were relevant. But they don't just focus on the SKUs that they would that would normally have shown up anyway. They actually like I have a screenshot too of just on Amazon. Just I just took this right where their normal their normal Huggies products. Are, are their red packaging? If you if you're, if you're familiar with the sub brand, you'll know, but the red packaging would normally show up at the top because it's the top selling SKUs. They do have those, but they prioritize the stock up skew, right? The, the higher size to arguably get you to convert to, to stock up. But then some of their product placements, their sponsored products and their sponsored brand carousel, features their special delivery black packaging. It's the more premium product that gets you to trade up at the same time. So something as simple as that is something all of us could be doing. We should be brand term investment, you know, approach to defend ourselves. But we could use that to drive incrementality, whether it be through stock up, trade up, maybe even bundles if we've got bundles. Um, so it, it, it's like leveraging a lever we already use, but more intentionally around an incrementality, right? And even if you don't get incremental ROAs on the back end. Perfectly from a retailer, you designed it around incrementality, so the outcome should be more incremental than it would have been if you just prioritized and placed your traditional gotcha. meeting items. So, so that that's an example of like trade up. Um, I like so Hinkle, who owns Persil mm-hmm. in the U.S. Uh, in the laundry detergent category. The, I have a screenshot of like what was almost maniacally planned, which I thought was awesome. So if I typed in Persil, their normal Products. Their base product showed up, up at the top organically. But they used paid search to get you to trade into and up to a stock-up pack of their premium mm-hmm. pods um, within laundry detergent. And then in the video ad, they actually also cross-sold their Snuggle fabric softener, their crisp linen scent. And then there was a display ad that showed that they had a new lavender mm-hmm. scent. So literally in one screenshot, one Above the full view, I'm being traded up, stocking up, and cross-selling all in one go. And again, I don't know, obviously without seeing their data, how successful every single tactic was, but it was designed with the right kind of outcome in, in mind. And I and I, I give credit to PNG, all of these brands that are I, I generally think it's PNG sparks something, and everyone responds. Maybe that's unfair credit to give, but usually it's the, the competitor of a PNG sees png doing this but png even in their content on their pdps every SKU does something different to drive. everyone has a different role so if you're on tide laundry detergent liquid it says you should trade up to pods because mm-hmm. they're better than liquid um and when you're on pods they say you know what you should trade up to power pods because they're even better than mm-hmm. pods and when you get to power Pods, you're at the best so then they're like you know what you've got the best trade over and buy also our downy unstoppables and our bounce dryer sheets, right? So it, and they do that through content, media, assortment, virtual bundles, promotion. They do a lot of this, but every single SKU has its own role in driving a little bit more incrementality just within the basket opportunity alone. And that's, again, I know everyone wants bigger baskets because we know the shoppers there now. We don't have to worry about bringing them back yet. It's just about getting them to maximize their purchase here. But again, whether it's content, assortment, or even paid search, or display, or promotion—all of those levers can be designed around different aspects of basket building. If that is your, if the, if that's your next opportunity in the campaign. If I
1: can add an example here as well, I think this yeah. this might be interesting um, to explore a bit more as well. But now with Amazon Marketing Cloud, we're able to see a lot more of the sequencing of different purchases and new to brand um, across all ad types. Whereas previously we couldn't see new to brand um, customers with sponsored products. Now we can. And we have a client who is in the hair care category and they had this sort of sleeper of a product that wasn't, you know, it was, it was not in their top 10 Um, but we found it had incredible new to brand take up and then um, people were actually trading up after buying that product and so we were able to sort of allocate some more ad spend against that product which was like you know it it was seemingly a fairly unique to Amazon thing like this wasn't an entry way product through their other channels but we found that it was on Amazon so actually scaling up ads to get new to brand customers in through that entry product and then you know, cross-selling with ads to other SKUs, which is again something that we're able to do with a lot more precision now on Amazon, especially, is to target, okay, someone bought this SKU previously. Let's target them for this one. And the the messaging could even be, you know, quite specific there, like, hey, you tried this hairspray and we think you're going to love this one, like now that you've actually had a chance to to use it.
0: Well, exactly. And I think, I think we all, we're all behind the concept of personalization. Yeah. I think sometimes when you say personalization, it has like many connotations, but part of that personalization could just be shopper purchase dynamic based personalization. Not just like I creepily know everything about you, Carrie, and I'm going to recommend things that only your soulmate would know. Um, or, but it could just be like, Hey, Carrie, you, you used to buy this product and you haven't for the last three months. Here's a great deal, hopefully, to re-engage you. Right now, you might not use that full language. I mean, I'm not a copywriter, right? But you might not be the that might not be the full message you're telling them on an ad, but it's that person is going to relate to that ad, knowing they used to buy that. Why haven't they bought? Oh, well, it's probably because they bought a bigger size and they were using it up or they forgot, or or they've been engaged by somebody else. But th- this is a chance to unlapse your shopper, right? And bring them back. So there's to that point, that, like I think we all, I think we're all behind the idea of personalization, but personalization doesn't necessarily have to get down to my my DNA. It could be my shopping DNA, right? Based on my ability to start targeting these people much much better through the likes of Amazon, Kroger's ability yep. to target, Walmart and Target amping up their ability to target. So there's some really cool ways to leverage these levers in a more and down the road, who's to say the PDP doesn't change also based on you. Right. Because that would be that might be the holy grail where the page changes just slightly based on like Chris has never looked at this page before. I'm going to go new brand shopper on him. Right. Versus Carrie is a heavy shopper of this product. I want to get her to buy more with a new occasion. Right. So it would be really interesting down the road that that'll obviously take the retailer capability. But we'll have to fuel that with content that meets those different segments that we're trying to target. So we almost need to be ready for that because that could come down the road.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Yeah. Do you have an another example you
0: want to share? Yeah, I mean, there's never a a lack of examples, but these are like some of these. Like again, they can start from a retail side. They can start from a a brand side. One, I know that L'Oreal does an amazing job globally of winning in the beauty category in an omni-channel environment. The beauty category is generally more developed online. One thing that I know over the last two years that they launched that did really well for them. Um, was their, their TikTok made me buy it campaign, which was multifaceted. So it, it started with a, with like the the social influencers on TikTok being sent this special pack of, you know, of sample product that they could get excited about and share. And so it started with that influencer side, but then that like a, a version of that product was made available when they launched this in Europe. Um, they, they launched this with products on like A pack on Amazon and on Look Fantastic and some select retailers. This did incredibly well, obviously pulling in the power of social commerce, the brand influencing component. This was a great example of a of content and promo and media that and and influencer media, user-generated content that drove baskets because you were building, you were buying multiple L'Oreal products that created one full solution. But it it also drove trial because, you know, yeah, maybe you use the mascara, but you weren't using, you know, Revitalift or you weren't using something else. So what, one of the other products in there. So it was a really great way to build a basket for both the retailers involved and the brands, you know, and it required the brands being willing to partner across their brand lines, which sometimes is, is its own challenge internally, but then it also was driving a lot of trial. And by all means, Beauty is a repeatable regimen. So it actually was driving repeat too. Because once you buy this product, once you buy the sample collection, you're going to want to buy the, the larger size to repeat over time. So um, and that was so successful. Um, I've seen some of the results, but obviously without that that did create some serious bestsellers that like they owned the best sellers in most of their categories during that promotional period, um, as rank, you know, as ranked on like the likes of Amazon. But then as that was successful, they brought that in-store too with displays and in-caps and signage to bring the power of the influence of TikTok into an omni-channel environment. So they've seen some really strong success. Mm. And as you can see, depending on each brand, probably had a different growth goal, a smarter growth goal that were all being achieved with one bigger program that, that they could you know, be better together, You know, bigger, fewer, yeah. better together, right? So um, that's an, another kind of cool example of, thinking smarter, but even that goes even beyond to like a brand equity play right across and leveraging those social influencers uh, to, to fuel, to fuel that. Smart yeah. Way. And
1: what I like about these examples that you're sharing is these are all, they don't require a JBP with Amazon or another retailer to, to enact. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes brands have, uh, they're, they're given a hard sell by some of these retailers to do something a little more speculative, like, live stream shopping or a catalog or something like that, which is, you know, they're expense very expensive programs. And uh, I think that th- these are some really practical ways of looking at how can you deploy an investment for potentially a lot less dollars and have more control over the outcome there as well. So it doesn't require, you know, for you to be a 1P vendor to Amazon, be really tight with your vendor manager, which doesn't really happen so much
0: anymore. Um, these are all things that you can do if you're in accord. And by all means, we should shoot for the stars, right? Long-term, but, and maybe some of those asks of us could then leverage, right? If I'm asked to do live streaming and it's somewhat untested and unproven for my category, I'd have a better incremental goal to be trying to drive because I've already practiced doing it with the levers I can pull. But I always kind of say when people are, when we're doing trainings, on Smarter Growth. We do workshops where we actually get the teams to use the amazing genius that's locked in their brain that they just hadn't let out at the table, right? Because like I said, the enlightenment was there. It was just being given permission to think that way with all the tools that we can use online. But you don't need almost any retailer's help to do some of the content, obviously within their guidelines, the content, the promo, the media, right? You can focus that on anything you want. So those are like the crawl, walk, run, right? Content you could do right away. The Media promotion takes a little bit more of a lead time, but you could do that pretty close midterm. Assortment, right, would take a little bit longer and might require selling to the retailer unless it's on the marketplace or it's a drop shipping or something uh, arrangement. But right there, even before you get to like a joint value creation JBP opportunity, you can say, you know what, we pivoted our strategy to focus on trips, incremental trips and loyalty. We started with content. We saw some, we saw some gain. We added subscription media on Amazon, we added uh, new occasion media and promotion, you know, for retails that didn't have the subscription capability to drive more trips. We saw some gain, right? We saw incrementality. Then we created some unique packs. And so now maybe at the pack level where you'd have to sell it in, you can say, we did crawl, walk, run. We saw the incremental and incremental and incremental. Now we need your help, right? Now there's a bigger opportunity. We've already proven it works. What if we had like Mondelez does some amazing assortment work across the globe on, because they're expandable consumption brands, right? It's all about new trips or basket building. They have some amazing, like, occasion-based assortment that they've developed for e-com that trickles down back into brick and mortar, you know, birthday boxes of candies and and, and chocolate, right? Uh, in, in India, like, Diwali formal gift sets for the religious holidays, like, um, movie night boxes, right? Like the, the large Toblerone, like almost like the novelty items that you'd only buy for like a gift, right? That's obviously before you think of like Oreo ID, which was their D 2 C play that then they created special packs for that they sold on the retail, on other retailers, right? That were set assortment. So they've done some really cool things to create new assortment. To build towards that, you might've had to start with content, media, promo, build the case, now we I think we can meet that hurdle rate internally to launch that and we can get the retailer excited because they can see they see the track record for that specific type of growth or that occasion. Now I can make the case to sell that in. So you don't have to do all of this overnight, but do the things you can pull levers on now and build your case for internal or external partnership to go to the next level. This is
1: great. Thank you for sharing these examples. I think it helps to bring it to life. Of course, there are a lot more levers that you're going to be talking about with the framework. We have the events coming up soon. Could you run through the the dates um, that where people can tune in to learn out
0: learn more? Yes, yeah, so so this year we had we we've had uh, five smarter events that we provide publicly. Obviously, we can always do the the workshops and consult and help and support on the back end directly with any organization. But um we did our smarter household penetration event earlier this year, our smarter baskets event, our smarter loyalty event. Um, in, in September was our last one, and then next week, uh, November seventh, we have our smarter workflows. So that's the how, the processes behind these levers to make us, because that's also how we're going to do better than others is that we can implement these more effectively. And then we've got our smarter money event on December fifth, um, which is our profitability angle, because obviously we don't want to just do this at the expense of no margin at the bottom. Um, and then next year we're gonna we're gonna read relaunch the series and actually focus we're going to take a slightly different angle we're going to actually i think we have seven events there's going to be content uh promotion portfolio Mm -hmm. kind of like we've talked about data partnerships workflows and money so we'll you'll see a little bit of the same but it'll be the next level best practices or examples in the industry we have a lot of speakers that are going to come and Mm complement this as well um which is which is exciting we always try to get the best voices at these events and they are all free to attend um, again because we want to get you that knowledge so you inspiration and a case so you can bring it to your leadership and get them to implement that with you as well. So, um, and you can get all of our events. Those are just one series of many that we offer at firstmover.com forward slash events. Like I said, they're always free. um, and we just like, and, and we have other kind of cool perks and free things that come with being a part of our events. Um, like our torch certification program, which you get credit for by just attending our free events. So you can get badges for LinkedIn for your lo- the longevity of your learning. Awesome. Lots of cool things to celebrate your leadership and First Mover uh, role Wonderful. in the industry. Wonderful.
1: We'll put the link in the show notes for that specific session. And then firstmover.com, F-I-R-S-T-M-O-V-R.com is where you can find Yes, the
0: US silent yeah. in e-commerce, <laughs> so we dropped from first Awesome,
1: so. thanks, Chris. It's so great having you on the show again, and looking forward to to the smarter framework. Thank you so
0: much, Kiri.